Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Bible discussion on baptism in the Bible, as well as contrasted between the current day teachings around the world in churches and other various religious institutions. So we are going to spend a little bit of time looking at verses in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, grab, grab your Bible and we can, uh, we can look at some of these uh, chapters and verses together. So I'm fascinated by this topic of baptism in the Bible because, and I guess the first slide that I'm showing here uh, gives the contrast of what I will try and demonstrate is a biblical baptism on the left-hand side and a non-biblical baptism on the right-hand side. And it may be coming uh, as news to people who are watching this for the first time that uh, sprinkling uh, of a baby or a youth is not found in the Bible, and we'll work through some of those concepts tonight. So it should only be around about 20 or 25 minutes, so we'll, um, we'll get straight into it. So I'd like just to um, explain firstly some of the current traditions and then compare and contrast that. The current tradition now where children, often newborn babies, as we uh, you can see in the left-hand side of the screen at the top there, they're sprinkled without reference, obviously, to their beliefs uh, in the Bible or their convictions to those beliefs. And we'll try and show that's not found in the Bible. In fact, it has been a church tradition, being passed down from some of the early, what they will probably call church fathers, down to today's religious institutions, whereas... In contrast to that, we have a pretty clear biblical teaching that shows baptism occurring once a person who's generally able to believe, so someone who's generally an adult, certainly not a newborn child under a couple of months old, um, is able to believe, understand what they're reading in the Bible and confessing that belief in Jesus. So let's get into it and we'll have a look at some of the, uh, the background of the history of the references to baptism in the Bible and as well as some examples. So just look, summarise just really quickly those uh, really big, um, probably well-known baptisms, I guess, in the Bible. John the Baptist, is, it's in his surname, I guess. Uh, he was a baptizer, So he would baptise in the Jordan River um, once people believed what he was preaching about the scriptures of the Bible, generally the Old Testament at that time. None of the New Testament was written um, when he was baptising in the early, sort of the late 20s, early 30s um, years after Jesus was born. Then Jesus himself was baptised by John. Most people know that with the dove-like uh, Holy Spirit coming to rest upon Jesus and God calling uh, out of the clouds, this is my beloved son, um, in whom I'm well pleased. So that's another really uh, well-known baptism that's uh, easily recalled. It's got the picture there on the left. And then during Jesus' ministry, he tells his closest disciples and then the apostles they, that they need to do exactly the same thing. They need to teach the salvation gospel and then once people understand and believe, then they are to follow through with that 
uh, ritual, a uh, demonstration of baptism. And we'll go through what that is uh, meant to show when, uh, when we're a couple of slides in. And we'll look at a couple of examples, not all of them, but there's a, a few references throughout the New Testament, including uh, references to belief, to baptism, and also in, linked in with that is the forgiveness of sins. And it's really important. It's not just getting into uh, a river or a bath or a pool uh, as a bit of a ritual. Um, I remember someone saying um, a few years ago that if you did that, all you're going to do is turn a dry sinner into a wet sinner. And that's obviously not going to be very effective long term. So we'll have a look at that as well. Now, if you don't know, this is a little bit of background, and I'm not certainly a, a language scholar, but throughout the New Testament, most of the New Testament is originally written in the Greek language. That's just what people spoke, and that's what uh, most documents were written down as. And in that, um, in that uh, frame, we then look at the, uh, the, the concept of um, this Greek word, and we are coming across this word called, um, known as baptizo. Um, for those that are speaking in Greek, you've got it up the top there um, in the original Greek. And because this part of the Bible was written in Greek, then it's worthwhile going and having a look at what this word is actually uh, referring to. And the concept is, um, uh, in, under this word baptizo, it means to immerse, to dip, or to plunge. And in the early zeros and late zeros and early hundreds, this concept of baptizo was used very frequently. And the idea was, as we've tried to show on the screen of these two pictures, is that the idea it was it was a, an occupation back then when you made some garments or repaired garments and you and clothing and you wanted to change the colour, then you baptised that material that, or that fabric into a colour. And if you were to try and change the colour from one thing to the other by just grabbing some water and sprinkling it across the material, then you might come out with some quite fashionable clothing, but you wouldn't come out with an all blue or all orange or all green um, garment. You would then, it would all be spotted. And so the idea of baptizo or baptism is to immerse fully into water, dip or to plunge. And so that just probably gives a really good idea, those pictures um, tell uh, the story pretty well. They paint paint um, that picture of changing a garment from one colour to another. So if you remember that throughout our presentation, it's actually really obvious what the, re uh, the Greek word baptizo is talking about. So I'll give you the answer up front and then we can work through some of the, uh, the details as we go. But from a, from a biblical point of view, the, the importance of baptism is something that we should bear in mind because it's not just a ritual. We don't just go through the motions. It actually is very important. And I'll show hopefully during the next couple of minutes that baptism is a symbol um, that relates to Jesus Christ. And if it relates to Jesus, then it's really, really important. And it symbolises, um, as we'll go through in a couple of chapters 
um, in Romans, actually, um, of the death, burial and resurrection of our Saviour Jesus. And during that process and then subsequent, we can request and obtain the forgiveness of our sins. And by doing that, as we come out of the baptismal bath or pool, then by doing that symbolically, we're rising again, as Paul says uh, in one of the New Testament books, we, we, we rise to a newness of life. So we agree to change our life. Uh, often we're living our lives, we're walking in a particular way, but then we realise that the message of the Bible is that we need to repent and get baptised and then we agree to change our course of life and start being a bit more like Jesus and following after his example. And that last line there, it's a promise. It's an oath. It's, it's not a guarantee because we're all human, but we promise to live a life of the resurrected Jesus. So following in Jesus' footsteps. I did want to have a look um, in two references where Jesus talks about people being baptised. In Mark chapter 16, at the end of the Gospel of Mark, there's a couple of verses here where Jesus is highlighting the importance of baptism. So this is after Jesus was resurrected and before he was to rise into the heavens um, and be with his father, uh, he says to his disciples after teaching them uh, of the gospel message for uh, almost six weeks, he then tells his disciples, look, basically go and do what I've been doing. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or to all creation. Anyone that believes and is baptised will be saved and anyone that doesn't believe will be condemned. So that's really, really clear to me. Jesus is saying, if you don't do something, you won't be saved, you'll be condemned. If you do do something, then you'll be saved and you'll avoid the condemnation. So without going through it all in detail, if you do nothing and don't pay attention to God, listen to what Jesus says, well, your life will follow the footsteps of probably 10 billion, 11 billion people is estimated to have lived in the past and have died and have basically used their allotted time to do what they want. And that's it. That's the end. Um, and, but Jesus says, if you don't want that, if you don't want eternal death, there's just no hope, then you have an opportunity here of being saved. So there's, not, there's another chapter there at the end of Matthew, very similar uh, words of Jesus saying, preach uh, the gospel to uh, anyone who will listen and have them uh, encouraged to be baptised and then live this life of obedience that we talked about. So you can have a look at that chapter and, uh, and read those words of Jesus as well. So these images on the bottom of the screen here are showing that we've now got an opportunity to be baptised and fully immersed or dipped or plunged into water, not just a sprinkling of a baby's head. So Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, what happens then? Really clear record of the disciples, now the apostles, actually doing exactly that. So Acts chapter 2 is a fantastic chapter. 
talking about the day of Pentecost. And then when they're all together, they got the Holy Spirit to help them go and preach the gospel. So chapter two talks about that and, that, and off they go to start preaching to everyone who's turned up to this famous Jewish festival. And at the end of it, some people in verse 37 say, basically, thanks very much for all this information. What do we need to do? So the apostle Peter then says, well, you're all heading down that way. You need to repent. You need to turn around and you need to go that way because that's the way that Jesus is asking you to live your life. And so he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And at this point in time, they were to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what did they do? Well, verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, there was added to that group of believers about 3,000 people. So that's one of the first examples after Jesus instructed his disciples and uh, then apostles to go and do that preaching, that this is one that a clear example of them going and doing that. And so they all went and got baptised. So 3,000. So very obedient and repentant. Well, there's a couple more examples that we can go through. I'll just pick out some of these. Acts, Acts chapter 16 and verse 14 and 15. The lady called Lydia was listening to Paul. She attended, as it says at the end of verse 14, she attended to the things which were spoken of by Paul. And when she was baptised and her household, she besought saying, come and stay with us. And so she wanted to learn more about that. So the, the message of Acts chapter 16 was that Lydia listened. She was very faithful. And then she was baptised following what um, Paul had said. And following on from that, and verse 30 this is the situation, and you may have heard of this story before, but the Philippian jailer, he was one of these people that were asked to look after Paul and his friend Silas, and they were in the prison, and they could hear them speaking about Jesus and singing, even though they were in, in the, the jail as a prisoner. And you can read the story there, but in the end, um, the, even the jailer saw their faith and asked, what does he need to do to be saved? And it says, Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So Paul says that, but they must have talked about other things because after believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 33 says, then the jailer took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and he was baptised, he and all his. So two examples out of Acts chapter 16, back to Acts chapter 8. Now, this is something very important for me because it helps show me what I need to believe. And this is the concept of the gospel. So Acts chapter 8, you can spend a bit more time looking at this, but Acts uh, chapter 8 is all about Philip going and preaching about, as it says in verse 12, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, once they believed that, what did they do? They were baptised. 
both men and women. So it's following the pattern. Can you see that? Following the pattern that Jesus laid down, told his disciples, go and preach the gospel, which we can see in verse 12 and verse 25, that it's the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Once they've done that, they've believed it, the next step is they needed to be baptised, both men and women. And as we go through, there's another reference there in verse 37, where uh, an Ethiopian uh, leader or eunuch says um, to Paul, uh, to Philip, sorry, uh, well, what do I need to do? Um, you've told me about believing, you've told me about baptism. Well, they've come across uh, uh, some water. And he looks and says, well, here's water. What's stopping us from being, uh, what's stopping me from being baptised? And so here, Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, yes, you can be baptised. The Ethiopian eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commands the chariot to stand still, and both of them went down into the water, and he baptised him. So this contrast between baptism, a full immersion or plunge or dipping, versus a sprinkling of water on the head. There's a couple more examples that I'll just quickly go through so you can have a look at these at some stage in your own time. But Acts chapter 10 is the first, one of the first examples here where Cornelius, who was a non-Jew, he was actually a Roman soldier, and he was really, really faithful, religious, and says uh, in um, verse 21, there's this man, is, he fears God, he's a good report, um, and he listened to the message that uh, Peter was able to teach him. And he, he feared God with all his house, and the apostle Peter was encouraged to go and see this uh, Roman centurion. And you have a look towards the end of the chapter, Peter explained God's work in Jesus Christ, and explains in verse 43, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of his sins. And so what then happened uh, towards the end of the chapter, verse uh, when they all were discussing this, um, verse 46, they heard them speak with tongues, they had the Holy Spirit, they were faithful and received that gift from God. Peter says, can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptised which have received the Holy Spirit. So Peter commands these faithful believers to be baptised in the name of the Lord. So amazing. So I'll just leave that there um, on the next screen as a summary of what we've just talked about. Here was a sign, this receiving of the Holy Spirit, a sign that the Gentiles could actually uh, believe and be part of that gospel message. Is a couple of examples that in the New Testament, after the Acts of the Apostles uh, was compiled and, and a summary of the things that the apostles and disciples went and did, um, Romans chapter 6 is a big called baptism chapter, and Galatians chapter 3 is one about believing and being baptized as well. Um, I think Romans 6 is a good one just to show one of the concepts that I mentioned in the introduction, 
is that Romans 6 talks about being baptised as a bit of a, a, a summary or an image of what Jesus did in his life, his death, his burial and the resurrection. And I, ex I explained at the start that when we're baptised, as we come out of the water that we've been baptised in, we ought to live a new life. And that's what Romans chapter 6 talks about there in verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, when we are raised out of the waters of baptism, we can be walking in newness of life. And it's a complete change of life. And it's not just a ritual, as we said at the start, it's actually a change in life. Galatians 3 is also a very good uh, baptism chapter and basically it invites the, the baptism uh, request is an invite to be part of God's family and to be with Jesus and by being baptised we are invited and um, accepted into that family and we become the children of God and that's a pretty high calling and it links us into some promises that are made to a very faithful man called Abraham. There's a lot of information about the Abraham uh, in the Old Testament that's well worthwhile going back and having a look at, but not the topic for tonight or today. Then just to emphasise this again, that it's not just a ritual, we're now talking about the topic that Paul likes to talk through about changing your life. So you used to do that over there, now you're doing something completely different. And he says in his words in, in Colossians chapter 3, and that follows Colossians chapter 2, of course, and there's one reference I've got on the screen there of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, and talks there, talking there about baptism and being risen in baptism. And then Colossians 3 opens up saying, if ye then be risen with Christ, and he's referring to in the act of baptism, once you've done that, then seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. So change. Live a newness of life. Why does he say that? He goes on to say in verse 3, For ye are dead in baptism, using the symbology, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So there's a couple of references there in the New Testament that we've really raced through, but I just thought it might be worthwhile covering off some of those, and there's a couple of others that I've written down, but that's uh, that's the first um, sort of cut, and you can uh, have a look at some other references in your own time. I just wanted to finish off uh, the topic tonight by just referencing two non-biblical, non-Christadelphian uh, writers um, and I've put the references up there They're a little while ago, but I just thought I might finish off with these just to emphasise the fact that this concept of non-biblical baptism or sprinkling wasn't even thought of by the disciples and apostles. So Dr. Lang um, is it's quoted in History of Protestantism, um, page 221. You've got that book. Uh, and, and this doctor says, it must be granted by every unprejudiced reader of Holy Scripture and Christian antiquity 
that the baptism of newborn children was altogether unknown to primitive or early Christianity. In other words, it developed over time. We haven't got time to look at that tonight, uh, but there is some some good um, references that you can uh, do a, a search uh, on the internet and you can find some really good references there. And then the Dean of Westminster, Dean Stanley, in the 19th Century Review, October 1879, it's quoted by, uh, by that uh, Dean says, the practice of immersion was unsuitable to the taste, the convenience, and the feelings of the church. And then, by the general sentiment of Christian liberty, this great change to infant sprinkling, not adult baptism, was affected. So this final slide, I think, just emphasises that there was no understanding of child or infant baptism early on in the church history, and it's been developed over time. So I thought that was probably a good way to end off the subject matter and um, encourage everyone to have a look back through some of those Bible references and see what uh, what you think. And very happy to engage in some correspondence if that's how we wanted to, uh, to cover off this topic as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you.